we're going to talk about the Father heart of God. Uh, oops, went too far. There we go. Okay, so the Father heart of God, speaking on Father's Day is an incredible opportunity because we get to focus on the heart of God the Father. And today I want to focus on really just his heart, receiving that, beholding that, receiving that, and reflecting that. You know, a lot of times, you know, as men, we hear uh, messages on, here's what you need to do to be a better father. You know, uh, people make us feel bad for not, you know, accomplishing all the things we need to accomplish. But really, the, the simple truth is, if we just receive the heart of the Father and we reflect that out to people, that takes care of the list and all the things that we're not doing well. Um, all of those are resolved. But we have to understand that when we approach the heart of the Father, we approach it from our own perspective, right? And so we think of it in terms of what our earthly fathers are, okay? What experiences we've had with them, whether good or bad. Um, some of us don't have experiences with a father, and that's left a void in us. Some of us have had really good experiences. Some of us have had good experiences, but Satan has come in and given us lies to believe negative things about a good father. Um, and then we also approach this from our culture, okay? So here's my next slide. This is uh, the world's image of a father, okay? These are, there's some decent images, you know, Andy Griffith, uh, Bill Cosby, those were good examples of what a, a father is to a family. But there's some pretty bad examples up here. Um, and our culture, you know, from the 60s on to present day, has shifted fathers and masculinity to be a joke. Um, men in the household, in our, in our culture, we portray men as a total joke, that their wives have to fix them, they don't know what's going on. And that's a corrupt image of it. But really, when we behold the heart of the Father, we see what the pure image of fatherhood is. He is, fatherhood is an expression of who he is, just like motherhood is. Uh, both are expressions of his nature, and I'm getting away from my notes here. Uh, but both are expressions of his nature. And, you know, we have to understand that we, we need to pull away from our personal experiences, our environments, and we need to go and we look and we behold him in his purest form. And he's given us his word to, to receive, to behold that, to receive it, to reflect it. Uh, the Bible says a lot about fathers. It was written in a patriarchal society, uh, you know, our society is shifting away from that, has been for a while, and, you know, that's just society, but in the Bible, uh, it mentions father 1,828 times, the word father. Now, it talks about, you know, earthly fathers, talks about heavenly fathers, and then, uh, and then it also mentions 140 times in John, uh, the father, okay? And so it's a massive topic in the scripture, in the word of God. And uh, I was going to have all the men stand up, but Aline did that great, so thank you. <laughs> so let's just go straight into um, the Father heart of God. So you can see from this list uh, right here, this is just a quick cursory overview of God's heart towards mankind. Okay, it's a fatherly heart. He creates the universe and mankind. He preserves us. Um, you know, we were exceedingly wicked, only thinking about evil continually, always imagining it. We deserved punishment. We deserved death. But God took and created an ark 
You know, and think about that little fatherly example. You know, in, in our culture, we think about dads building Pinewood Derby cars with their kids, you know, and it's a, it's a sweet little thing. Think about God the Father working with Noah to build an ark, <laughs> you know. How amazing was that? He was showing them what to do. He was, he was enjoying it. He was preserving the world through it. Then the nation of Israel, God births them, leads them through the wilderness, you know, a, a cloud by day, fire by night, um, you know, water from the rock. He protects and provides for them against the enemies, okay? He disciplines uh, the nation of Israel, a symbol of our walk with God, uh, and, you know, through the prophets. Then he gives us his son to save the world. This is the image of God. This is the image of the heart of the Father. This is the expression of who God is. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit, okay? This runs contrary to those images I was showing of culture, what culture thinks fatherhood looks like. This is what the fatherhood really should look like. But I want to go in into a little more detail on um, some specific pivots. If you were to take mankind and boil it down to three main pivots, three main milestones, three main events for mankind, there was obviously the fall of mankind where we were um, with God in the garden. We had fellowship with God. The fall separated us from God. That was a huge moment. From that time on, any one of the seed of Adam has been separated from God. But then there's the cross. Jesus came in, made redemption for us, okay? And then we also have the third main pivot is the culmination of all of that, the future kingdom, where the former things are passed away. Behold, he makes all things new. And so if you take those three pivots and you look at God's heart in those moments, we see God saying to Adam in Genesis 3, where are you? God, God's not, God's not um, ignorant of where he was. God knew where he was. God, what he was pointing out is, what, there's a separation now between us, okay? His heart was to be united uh, with Adam. And then the cross, Jesus says, my desire is that you would be with me where I am, right? Then we've got the future kingdom where it says, the, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Let's, let's go into these in a little more depth. So, John 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples. Um, but then he goes on and says, I'm not just praying for you. I'm praying for all those who would believe your word after you. So this is his prayer to us. And I emphasize some of the words in here. Look at the, the amount of father, love, the, the correlation there. So in 24, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, I have made you known. And these have known that you have sent me, that I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Okay, so look at the reference of Father. And the word so that... You know, he's saying everything before that is so that the love which you love me may be in them. Look at God's heart in that. His desire at going to the cross was that the love of God would be in us, that we would experience the love that Jesus has with the Father, that we would be made, brought into that, uh, that beautiful union, that love. 
And then we've got Revelation. Um, I love Revelation 21. Uh, You know, we live in a fallen world, in a corrupt world, full of evil, full of hardship, full of strife. And when we look at Revelation 21, we see the end goal. We see our future destiny in God, those who are born again. And it says, you know, obviously before that it talks about those that are not born again, they, they go to the lake of fire. Those who are born again, who've received God, it says, Behold, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And verse 4, as if it's the first one isn't good enough, then it says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, there shall be no more, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. So we look at this and we think, boy, verse 4 is incredible. You've got the, um, you know, there's no more tears, there's no more crying, there's death no more, there's no more mourning, there's no more pain. The former things have passed away. That's amazing, right? That's something to rejoice about. That's our future destiny. But above that, we have the dwelling place of God is with man. That is the first thing. That is the, um, the most important, the most significant, the most beneficial to us is that he is dwelling with us. Look at his heart. He desires to dwell with us. So I'm just going to take a moment real quick and just pray for this, this message. Um, that was my long-winded intro. <laughs> so, um, Lord, we just thank you for uh, your heart, Heavenly Father. God, I thank you that you desire to be with us. Lord, we ask that a spirit of adoption would rest here today, God, that we would receive more of your heart, more of your love, God, and that we would reflect that out to the world. Lord, look past my shortcomings, God. I pray that your word would be glorified, your name would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... This guy, uh, Ryan Buss, um, I found this on a It's Supernatural uh, website, and it was pretty good. What he did is he compared um, two different mindsets. Uh, Some people call them spirit of orphan or sonship spirit. Um, What it means is, you know, it's a way of thinking. It's an emotional, psychological disposition. It's It's a way that we approach the world. It's a way that we see the world. It's a way that we interact with the world. And he said, you know, there's really two ways to look at things. You approach it from an orphan mindset or a sonship mindset. And, you know, when I started looking at this list, I thought, and I modified it a bit and adapted it, but when, when I looked at it, I thought, um, <laughs> oh, those, that, the theory of that, yeah, those people, that, that theory, I made it very uh, uh, not personal, okay? But I want to encourage you, when you look at this, look at do I actually do this? Do I actually think this? Because our actions is what reveals what we actually believe. We, we deceive ourselves and we think, oh no, I would never think that. I would, I would never think that I'm uh, independent of God, you know, that I don't need him. But yet I don't pray. I don't ask him for things. I just do it on my own. All those actions uh, reveal what we really think. And it's not so much that we need to beat ourselves over the head with, oh, you know, I've, I've got this orphan thing. It's just, let's do a check here in our hearts. What do we see? And so with the, the orphan mindset, it's someone who sees God as a harsh master, okay? And then the sonship sees God as a loving father. 
You know, I've heard, a, I've heard the orphan mindset spoken a lot in the world. I don't know if you have as well. When you, when you uh, talk to a lot of people who don't know God, uh, you hear these things. Sees God as uninterested and too busy for them. I'm just a, an annoyance for God. I, I don't want to pester him. He's busy. He's got other more important things to do. Well, the son knows that God personally cares and is always available to them. The orphan mindset strives for praise and approval and acceptance of man, looks to men for that. The sonship lives totally accepted in the Father's love and justified by grace. We see that exemplified in the life of Jesus. Jesus was constantly being a um, persecuted, judged, you know, harsh words spoken of him, rejection constantly from mankind. But he was confident in his relationship with the Father, where he stood with God, that it, he was in total peace, total rest. He could, he could endure anything. And, you know, can we? Do we? Um, the orphan mindset says, uh, no one can help me but me. Uh, the sonship trusts in God for his help. Let's go on again uh, to the next one. It says, selfish ambition to impress others and God. The sonship mindset serves others out of a deep gratitude for God and love for them. The orphan mindset strives for praise, approval, and acceptance of man. The sonship mindset lives totally accepted in the Father's love, justified by grace. The orphan lives out of a sense of duty and earning God's favor. I've just got to do this. Hopefully someday he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope I can do this. The sonship mindset says they're thankful for the finished work of the cross. Out of that thankfulness, it just flows out the works, the fruit of God. This orphan mindset competes, accuses, and exposes others. The sonship mindset gives and covers over sin with grace. You know, it's funny. I, when I worked down here, I worked for a family business that were Christian family, and they're just awesome. The culture there, um, they really excelled at this sonship point. You know, we would, if, you know, as an engineer, you're not allowed to make mistakes. You make a mistake, you know, you get sued for things, people get hurt. And so, but when I worked for this company, it was like, our goal is to get to the finish line. And if you make a mistake, don't slow down. And if you make a mistake, we'll, we'll work with that, you know, we'll accept it. And so there was this real open concept of, oops, I screwed up, how do we fix it? And no one was pointing fingers and accusing. And it wasn't until I worked in that environment that I realized, wow, you know, it's really easy to get in that competing, accusing. I'm sure most of us know that who have jobs. You see the backstabbing coworkers and finger pointing, or you see the little kids in the family, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. Um, They're all trying to get some sort of, they're trying to get ahead. But when we receive the spirit of adoption, uh, we, we don't have to do those things. We can leave the orphan ways behind, and we can walk as a son, as a child, as a co-heir with Christ, as an heir of God. Um, and so that's what I want to really focus on today, is the spirit of adoption. What really is that? What does the Bible say about it? And so let's just go to John 1. So John is, is talking about Jesus. And he says, uh, But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Look at the giving heart of the Father. Look at the word use of children to God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this discounts the work of the orphan mindset, okay? You can't, we, no one can achieve uh, with their own willpower, with their own flesh, with their own uh, strength, in their own duty. They can't be born of God. Being born of God is a beautiful gift given by the Father to us, received in Jesus by faith so that no one would boast, right? So just by a show of hands, I'd like to see how many people in this room are born again, have received Jesus. Okay, that's about uh, 95%. So this message really is for you. For, for the others that didn't raise their hands, um, you know, we'll, we, I can talk about that later, but uh, this message really is for those who are born of God. We receive the spirit of adoption. And I want to talk about that because, you know, with the orphan mindset and the sonship mindset, a lot of times you don't have to be 100% in one camp, 100% in the other. There's degrees of growth in those areas in our life. God can release more of a spirit of adoption. We can, you know, have various degrees of the orphan mindset, uh, but God can overcome those. And just like you know, our earthly fathers are the images of the culture of mankind, you know, of fatherhood and, and society. We can overcome those images just by beholding God, just by receiving from him. We'll be transformed. And all those images, um, all the impact that it's had on our life, the way it's, it's shaped us to go a certain direction, all of that can be reversed by the power of Christ. You know, I've, I didn't get to hear Bill's last message, uh, but I heard the one before that on, on YouTube. And, you know, it, it is that being conformed in the image of God. It's that being conformed into his likeness. So let's go to uh, uh, Romans here. So the context of this verse is Paul is telling the Romans, uh, the context of it is a religious performance versus faith. Okay? And... And so he says, in, that, in the context of that, the religious performance works to the law, um, he makes this statement. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We just sang that this morning. That, you know, that's why I love these worship songs that are based on Scripture. We're, we're singing back the word of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Look, with our joining together, no more separation from the fall. We are the children of God. And if children, uh, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may be glorified with them. And, you know, that suffering, I, when I first read it, I thought, oh, that must mean I have to be persecuted in China for my faith or Saudi Arabia. But it goes on to talk about what the suffering is. And it's the suffering of, of the uh, groanings of this world, the corruption of the world, and waiting for the redemption of God. So we're, we're suffering with them. And it said, look at these words. These are highlighted in here, or boldened. Um, spirit of adoption, son, no longer a sp- spirit of slavery, back into fear. All these concepts, they all work together. Uh, Paul goes on to say the same thing to, uh, to the Galatians. He's dealing with the same topic because, you know, the Galatians are a great example where they start out good in faith. They receive 
they're born again, they receive that in faith, but then the works come in, the performance comes in, the Christian performance, and, and we can equate that to us today, you know, where, okay, we got to check this box, you know, when, when the preacher's preaching, he's got to have a suit, full suit on, you know, we have all these various degrees, you have to go to this Bible study, you have to, you know, do X, Y, and Z, volunteer, uh, but we have to read this Bible verse, we have to pray so much, we have to all these things become boxes that we check, and we start to go away from, you know, oh, you foolish Galatians. And, and he says that to say, look, you received it in faith. Uh, stay in that place of faith and, and receive that. And, it's, and the reason why we, um, we go back into the performance mindset is it's just human nature. And, and all the religions of the world are different expressions of that human nature. That, you know, we, it's what Adam did in the garden when he was separated from God, that his human nature was to hide himself in shame, okay, to cover himself. He started to try to perform, and he was just ashamed before God. But when we receive, but God had a different plan. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So he came up with an infinitely better, different strategy, and that was to receive his work by faith. And so our, you know, anyways, I, I'm getting off topic here, but Galatians 4, uh, 4, 7, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So the context, again, talking about the law, the performance, keeping to the law. God sent him, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves. Look at these terms he's using. Slaves to the law so that he could adopt us to his very own children, as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. This, is, this isn't positive thinking. This is the Bible. Amen. This is what God wants us to think. This is what God wants us to think. It's not arrogance. We don't do this out of arrogance because it's only by his work. We just receive it and we walk in it. And as we understand who we are in Christ, it transforms our living. He's not going to leave us as orphans, he said. Okay. So... <clears throat> I'm going to go into Luke 15. Luke 15 is a really popular chapter, and it's really easy to read it with uh, familiarity and say, oh, you know, we know that. Um, I even thought that I did, and and I reread it. But Luke 15, you know, uh, the disciples, when they wrote some of the Gospels, Luke, um, well, actually Luke wasn't, but he, he, when he wrote, the physician wrote this, he said, um, you know, Holy Spirit, show me what to write. The Lord showed him, out of all the things that Jesus did, God said, I want you to write this. And he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote Luke 15, but, but these chapters and paragraphs and titles, all of that stuff was not in his writing. That's what publishers put in afterwards, right? What he wrote was, was just the actual text. And so, you know, when we see Luke 15 in our Bibles, we see the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, but really Luke 15 is one actual thought. It's one statement uh, made, and we're going to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to break a rule of, of preaching, which is don't read too many verses in one setting. But, um, but the thing is, 
when Jesus spoke this, he spoke it as one thing. And I, I want to, the reason why I'm reading this all at once to you is not because you can't read. It's because I want to, you to experience what Jesus actually said. He said it in one thought together. And I'm going to try to not interject in the middle of it. So we go to uh, Luke 15, verse 1. And I'll just kind of kick it off here. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying... Let's pause there. So the the context of what we're saying is, or of what Jesus is saying here, he's teaching the tax collectors and sinners. They're listening to him. You would think that you'd want people that are sinners listening to God, okay? It doesn't describe what the sinners are, so we can only infer that. But, But we know that the Pharisees and the scribes who perform really well before God, they've, they've checked all the boxes, they complain. Why, why would they be complaining that the sinners are listening to Jesus? So Jesus said, it says, so he spoke this parable to them. He's not speaking the parable to tax collectors and sinners. He's speaking the parable to uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. A lot of times Jesus just flat out rebukes the Pharisees and scribes. This time he's actually going to teach them with a parable. And what he does is he goes on to three parables all in one thought. And he keeps joining the parables because it's all the same thing. He's emphasizing it three times. When God speaks in three times, we need to listen up, right? And so, okay, verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Okay? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have lost my sheep. I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine just persons who have no need of repentance. Or what woman? Look, he doesn't even take a break there. Our Bibles take a break, put a heading in there. He just says, or. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost! Exclamation mark. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, just keeps going, a certain man had two sons. Okay, and this is, some people say this is the best story told of ever, of all time, the best in storytelling terms. So we listen to this because it's really important. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed, uh, yeah, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, he arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went 
and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of the, that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now his older son, the story pivots, now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, these, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, you, or who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we look at the prodigal son story, and the only character that's in both halves of that is God, is the father. That's God. And so you start to think, you know, what really is the title of this, of this book? These aren't parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. These are actually parables of the rejoicing father. God is basically taking his, uh, his heart and revealing it to the scribes and the Pharisees. They say, why would the, we're, we're complaining about these sinners listening to you. Well, let me tell you what really happens in the heavenlies. Let me show you what happens in the spirit. And so we look at this and we see, look at the actions of God, the sinner, and the self-righteous in this. Do you see the orphan sonship mindsets playing out in these, these scenarios? Uh, we have God who goes after, searches carefully. He gave an inheritance. Uh, you know, that's consistent with what I was saying earlier about how God, you know, created the world, searches for us, desires to dwell with us. The repentant sinner, you know, is lost, wasted his life. Um, his brother exposed him and said he was sexually immoral, uh, chasing after harlots. The self-righteous, look at their actions. They complain. They're working in the fields. They get angry. The repentant sinner causes the, the change in this. And look at what it does to God. God rejoices five times in this chapter. 
Heaven rejoices five times in this chapter. Okay? The repentance um, brought to the sinner uh, restoration. He's embraced. He gets the best robe, a ring, sandals, a feast. Okay? The self-righteous, what do they get? They get to be angry. They get to... um, they declare their self-righteousness before God. Hey, you know, I've done this all this time before you. Uh, notice how he didn't call him brother. Even the servant uh, said, your brother is back. And he said, this, uh, this son of yours <laughs> to the father. Okay, that, that orphan mindset, accusing others, uh, pushing them down to get ahead uh, for, a, you know, just, just doesn't understand who the father is and exposes the brother's sin. Uh, but God had compassion, embraced the Son, gave gifts through a happy feast. And so, you know, in this, this chapter, God reveals his heart. And 95% of you raise your hand to say you've been born again. Have you ever thought about this? Do you really receive God's joy over you personally? Have you thought about that? I, um, you know, I, I've struggled with these things myself. And when I really read this and I thought about it, it's easy to say, okay, the prodigal son story, it's about a guy who, um, you know, if we were to apply it in modern day world, you know, was addicted to drugs, was, uh, you know, stealing from his family, and now he's uh, made alive again. Now he's born again, and we're all so happy for him. We're all really happy for that guy, okay? But for all of us who raised our hands, we were uh, dead in sin, We were lost. We were heading to uh, punishment, to the lake of fire. And God spared us and brought us into his story, his whole desire of union with us, that we'd be with him where we are. Look at the Father's heart as that slideshow throughout mankind was to dwell with us. So don't you see how when we get born again, God's heart rejoices over us? And it's over you personally. So... Amen. So my heart, when I hear things like that, you know, all sorts of religious bells and whistles go off like, well, it's cheap grace. We're talking about cheap grace here. You know, God isn't always happy because, you know, he disciplines those he loves. And, you know, and, you know, we're going to wait someday because later he'll tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the born again experience. We've come into the family of God. This is what God rejoices over. When he sees us, he sees us through the blood of his son, the redemption blood of his son. It washes away our sin, and he looks at his son, and the the joy that the father has with the son, the love that he has, we're brought into that. We're brought into that. It's amazing. Amen. And so, uh, you know, another thought is, I've, one of my, when I was thinking about this, my heart said, well, does God really rejoice over me? And it's, I don't want to accept that because, you know, I don't want to, that, that sounds kind of arrogant. It sounds kind of prideful. Um, it sounds like, you know, I'd rather rejoice with someone else. But, you know, really the Bible, we have to change our view of God. You know, our, our orphan mindset, our performance mindset tries to create a new image of God 
other than what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us that he rejoices over the repentant sinners. And we just need to receive that and just walk in it, period. No ifs, ands, and buts. That's what it is. And we can, we can uh, expand in our embrace of that. And so, worship team, if you guys could uh, come up. We're going to, like I said before, we're going to behold, receive, reflect. Okay, so we've beheld the heart of the Father, right? Uh, some of us, like I said, we approach this world, uh, we approach God through the lens of this world, through our experience in this world. We have um, bad experiences with fathers. We have some good experiences with fathers. We have bad views of fatherhood. All of that impacts our view of the Father. But when we receive the spirit of adoption, this First uh, John 3, 1 Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. This is the heart of the adopted son, the the one who reads this and says, I am just so in love with it. You know, could you imagine what that prodigal son would be like if he would have told God the, uh, um, oh, thanks for preparing the feast, but give that to someone else. I don't want you to rejoice over me. No, the son uh, entered into uh, the joy of his father, he entered into the feast, and it says they were married together. Meant they, they enjoyed each other. 